It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Liz Clayman, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. I'm Lisa Brady. One Republican who's not running for president hopes to help the party focus on a strong ticket. It's time to kind of start clearing this field and narrowing this field down in a very aggressive way. We didn't do that in 2016, and we ended up with a candidate that couldn't even get 50% of his own party. We risk doing that again. We speak with New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. I'm Dave Anthony. A notorious American traitor has died in prison. It took years to finally catch Robert Hansen, who was an FBI agent. We knew we were searching for a mole uh, who was stealing our secrets and causing our sources to be killed in the Soviet Union and then in Russia. And I'm Chuck DeVore. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. At least 11 Republicans are now running for president. I intend to seek the Republican nomination for President of the United States in 2024, and I want your support. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie announcing his second run for the White House at a town hall event in New Hampshire last night. In the 2016 race, Christie dropped out after the New Hampshire primary, becoming a campaign advisor for Donald Trump, but later a Trump critic. There's a big argument in our country right now about whether character matters. And we have leaders who have shown us over and over again that not only are they devoid of character, but they don't care. And they tell you, you shouldn't care. As the Republican field grows, so do the questions about President Biden's fitness to serve another four years, in addition to what's left on his current term. A vote for President Biden is actually a vote for President Harris. We are running against Kamala Harris. Make no bones about it. Republican candidate Nikki Haley telling Fox News Harris will end up being president if President Biden is reelected. Answering a question about that, White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre points to the president's track record. This is a president, if you look at what he's been able to do, uh, he has been able to push forward and get done historic pieces of legislation. Adding that he gets the job done even when people think he won't. And for the first time in a long time, America is actually investing in itself. It's beginning to pay off. The president holding a cabinet meeting yesterday as the White House rolled out a new website, invest.gov, listing government projects around the country, while the Biden campaign and the Democratic National Committee launched new ads focusing in part on his experience. Meantime, one pro-Trump super PAC reacting to the Chris Christie announcement by saying Trump's dominance over the GOP field has led to a mad rush for runner-up. Today, former Vice President Mike Pence plans his announcement in Iowa. A lot of the boxes had had gotten checked. New Hampshire Republican Governor Chris Sununu recently deciding not to run. And in some ways, because you know we had a lot of financial support lined up, we really saw a path in terms of how to go at it, an interesting way to go at it in Iowa. Strategy was laid out. We had a lot of support on the ground. My family was supportive. It would have been easy if those things didn't get checked off. I could say, well, there's not this, so we don't have that. But the path was really there, so it made the decision a bit more difficult because obviously it's very attractive and alluring, the idea of running for president. You get kind of a lot of national attention and all that. But at the end of the day, the, the, I think the priority right now is making sure that we as a party are doing what each of us can do individually to support the party. And this is definitely, the, I think, the best path for my assistance to help the party, the full ticket, uh, not just being another candidate on the stage, but being a little more 
flexible and candid about what I can say and how I can say it as the governor of New Hampshire in terms of how the process moves forward. So, um, no, this is it was a hard decision to be sure, but but definitely the right decision and one I'm, I'm really looking forward to in terms of maintaining a, a national voice and hopefully getting more independence and young voters onto the Republican team. Is that kind of your main goal with this? Because so far, it looks like your decision might not catch on, if you will, because more candidates are still joining the race. How do you plan yeah, to no, try no. to help help the party? Yeah, so no, my decision isn't, hey, people shouldn't get in the race. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying we will need kind of leaders within the party to allow the process to take place. Those who want to get in can get in, and, and there's nothing stopping that, nor should there be. But probably a little uh, or a lot sooner than traditionally, uh, we have to start kind of pulling the levers a little bit and saying, okay, you're not polling anywhere. This isn't going anywhere. You've been in the race, whether it's two years or six months or whatever it is. You know, it's time to kind of start clearing this field and narrowing this field down in a very aggressive way. We didn't do that in 2016, and we ended up with a candidate that couldn't even get 50 percent of his own party. We risk doing that again. So, no, it's not, hey, I'm getting out of the race. You guys shouldn't run either. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I can, given my position and kind of my, the the skill set I kind of bring to the table, uh, there's a, an opportunity to, to, I think, just be a little more party-oriented to make sure we have a strong ticket. Why do you think so many Republican candidates are running? I know they can vary from one to another, but, you mm-hmm. know, especially those who maybe are not likely to make it very far, at least based on the early polling. Well, look, I mean, the early polling doesn't really matter. So you shouldn't get too caught up in that because we're just starting the race. We haven't even had a debate yet. Right. So that still very much has remained to be seen. Um, So and and folks that want to run are going to run. Uh, Are there folks running that are probably just running to be considered as a vice president? Probably. And and I don't think that's appropriate. Are the folks running kind of for the vanity or or selling books or whatever, just because it's it's an interesting thing to do and you get on a national stage? Well, sure, that's, that's a very alluring thing. But again, not really the time and place. We have to have more discipline than that. I know you've said that former President Trump can't win in 2024. And President Biden, you know, appears weak, at least according to his critics. Why are you so convinced that Trump won't win the general if it's against him? Well, because his message lost us seats in 2018, lost us everything in 2020, lost us U.S. Senate races and governorships in 22, why would you think all of a sudden it's going to turn around now? This guy loses Georgia. If you're a Republican that can't win Georgia, we have no shot. Like, it's over right there. I mean, there's just certain aspects of electoral math that have boxes that have to get checked. And if you can't check them all, then we're not going to win. So we're just going to be relitigating, you know, the, the yesterday's news and a false narrative and all that, as opposed to what the middle America wants to see, the average American right now that isn't necessarily a, you know, extremist on one base or the other. They just want hope that they can start trusting government again. They want to know that there's going to be an attitude adjustment in Washington, which, you know, Biden didn't deliver and and Trump, you know, really doesn't deliver. So there's just all the factors are working against him even harder than they were in 2020. So are there any voters that didn't vote for him in 2020 that are changing their mind and coming back to him in 24? No, none. He's an absolute known commodity. There's nothing you don't know about him. There's nothing you don't know about Biden. So if it were a re-election between him and Biden, he's simply going to lose again, but worse. For now, he appears to be the one to to beat in the Republican primary. What would your advice be to the candidates toward the bottom tier of that very crowded pool right now? Is it better to attack their counterparts or to go after the, you know, front runners, if you will, Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis? 
Uh, well, look, attacking counterparts that are you know, the other 10 candidates in the race isn't going to do you any good. You, first and foremost, you have to be about yourself. You have to be about what you're going to bring to the table. That's number one. You have to all be willing to be able to call out former President Trump for his failures in office, for his failures in party message, his failures in losing races for other people. They all need to stand up and say something um, as part of this, this process and their exploration of, of a presidential bid. Nikki Haley says everyone's really running against Vice President Kamala Harris. And the White House hasn't really answered that directly. Their answer to all the age and health questions about the president is to say that no one's accomplished more. And they're emphasizing his experience. Is that enough to counter the, the age question? Yeah, well, I, I don't worry the age question as much. I, I just worry about, I mean, obviously with Biden, it's just it's a question of competence, right, and, and ability. Are we getting... Biden at the top of his game? No, clearly not. Right. Um, I'll tell you this about the, the Kamala Harris thing. If Trump wins the nomination, he loses against Biden. There's no question. I don't think I think everyone, to the point of your question, is concerned that Biden would not even fulfill his second term, which means Kamala Harris becomes president. So if you support Donald Trump, congratulations. You're almost assuring that Kamala Harris will be the next president of the United States. So that's that's just the again the straight math of how this works, and we need folks to actually walk through the steps. There's really no way that that doesn't potentially happen. Biden would have to fill out his entire second term, which a, a lot of folks is is a, is would be dubious at best. Do you see any evidence in your own state that people are accepting any of what the White House says about? progress and accomplishments, no matter how unhappy people are in poll results, um, you know, that anything the president says about what he's done in two years is taking root. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the worst things Biden has done is created this horrible inflation problem, which is really the, the attacks on the poor. I mean, that's what it is, because wealthier people and even some, some of the middle class can withstand some of that inflationary pressure. But lower income families really can't. They can't put gas in their tanks. Energy independence has crushed uh, these low income families. We tend to be a more affluent, economically successful state. So, you know, we have the lowest poverty rate in the country. So it probably doesn't hit lower income families here as much as it hits other places. But no, his message doesn't resonate. He's turned it. I mean, Joe Biden has absolutely turned his back on New Hampshire. He only has something like 60 percent of the vote as an incumbent president to RFK Jr., I mean, again, you know, so that should tell you right there, even even his fellow Democrats are thinking they might not be with him, you know, during his own primary. So, no, it's not resonating here at all um, uh, for a variety of reasons. There's just a lack of trust in government with folks with someone like Joe Biden, who, again, you don't know what he's saying, why he's saying it. Um, he, he can barely find his way around a stage, for goodness sakes. I mean, you know, I feel bad for him. I really do. I think there's just a lot of folks kind of you know, pushing him to run again and pushing him and uh, to do X, Y, and Z when the, the best thing for him to do would be just to step aside. He, he won the presidency, step aside and let someone else step up. But the fact that they just kind of keep pushing him out there is, uh, I think, to most people, just baffling more than anything else. Do you think that Robert Kennedy Jr. would be a tougher challenger for the Republicans to face? Uh, boy, that's an interesting question. If he got through the primary, that means he's probably connecting with a lot of folks. Uh, the Democrats are, are embracing a, a whole realm of change within their party. So if it were Robert Kennedy Jr. against Trump, boy, that would be really interesting. Yeah, I don't know how that would turn out. But look, whether it's RFK Jr. or any other Democrat that steps in, especially in a place like New Hampshire, they're going to do well. If Trump does win the nomination, 
what then? Do you see the party as being able to unite? Would you be part of a coalescing no. around him as the nominee? No, the, no there's no way you're going to just get a, a unification of the party around Trump. I mean, that is so much, that is so clear. And if you can't even unite your own party, you're not going to get independence to vote for you. If you can't get independence, then obviously you're going to lose. So therein lies the direct math, the fact. It's not speculation. It's not, it's not a hypothesis. It is really just direct electoral math. There is no viable way for the president, uh, the former president Trump to beat Biden uh, in, in 24. And so therefore, again, we, we, as a party, have to have the discipline to say, thank you for your service. We're moving on. If that happens, if Trump does win the nomination, would you consider supporting a third party candidate or even becoming a third party candidate? Oh, I don't I don't think anyone's even thinking about that. I mean, I'm look, I feel very confident that the, the primary is going to be great. It's going to be a lot of opportunity for a lot of candidates to step up and eventually we'll get to a one on one race between Trump and somebody else for the nomination. And he won't get over 50 percent. And so whoever that individual is will likely get more than 50 percent and, and defeat him as it, you know, kind of, kind of as we kind of progress through Super Tuesday in the following states. What's your message to any Republican voters who are feeling really nervous about the whole process, about the prospect of being able to take back the White House? You, you should be nervous because, again, right now our nominee is a, is a loser that can't cross the finish line. Uh, so get involved, get in the game, uh, find a candidate that you can support, understand that the ultimate nominee might not be someone you support 100 percent or get on board with every policy. That's OK. Let's find someone that can really put up a new face, new ideas, uh, really drive forward on the Republican values that are out there. A lot of opportunity to do that, right? You can be nervous today, but don't worry. Huge opportunity to kind of change the paradigm and um, and really bring the Republican Party back to its core, its roots, what we're really about in terms of fiscal discipline, individual liberty, and local control, low taxes. New Hampshire Republican Governor Chris Sununu, thank you so much for your time. You bet. Thank you. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. This is Chuck DeVore with your Fox News commentary coming up. There's an empty cell at the federal Supermax prison in Florence, Colorado, which Robert Hansen used to call home until he died Monday at the age of 79. He may not know Hansen by name, but the FBI will never forget the crimes he committed. One of the greatest traitors in America's story. U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, Paul McNulty, back in 2002, when Hansen was convicted on espionage charges and sentenced to life in prison. This is a major accomplishment in our national security interests. Hansen worked in FBI counterintelligence for over 20 years, but secretly spied for the Soviet Union, then Russia, in exchange for cash and diamonds, until he was finally caught and arrested in 2001. His attorney, Plato Kacharis, said after sentencing... He apologized to his family, basically, and to his colleagues for uh, the shame he felt uh, for the activities that he had undergone that brought him to court. The FBI calls Robert Hansen the most damaging spy in the Bureau's history. I was actually a part of the team that tried to find Robert Hansen. We didn't know it was him at the time. Daniel Hoffman, a Fox News contributor now, was a CIA chief of station. 
we knew we were searching for a mole who was stealing our secrets and causing our sources to be killed in the Soviet Union and then in Russia. How bad, how notorious are we talking with this guy? Extraordinarily notorious. You know, his fascinating story, his father was a police officer uh, who reportedly abused Robert Hansen as a child. Uh, he joined the FBI in 1976 and began spying for the Soviet Union in 1979. He spied for a year and then his wife caught him and he promised her he would stop, but he didn't. He resumed in 1985, then stopped again after the Soviet Union collapsed and then resumed spying until 2001 when he was arrested. And he's been in prison ever since. The damage he caused was significant to our national security. And matched, I think, by the surprise among the CIA officers and the FBI agents who were searching for him. I don't think anyone imagined that it was him until we confirmed that indeed it was. At what point did we know, did you know, that somebody was stealing secrets, somebody was giving the Soviets and the Russians information from deep within? How long were you trying to find this mole? Well, our team, the task force that was hunting for the mole, originally was targeting Rick Ames, and we were able to determine that he was spying for the Soviets and then for the Russians. And of course, he was arrested in February of 1994. But Ames's betrayal could not explain all of our losses. And so we knew there was someone else. And through some super secret espionage, we were able to determine confirmed that there was someone else who was spying, and later we were able to determine that it was actually Robert Hansen. But at the end of the day, the, the focus was on the losses that we were suffering and how the Ames spying could not account for all of them. You're talking about Alder James, who was still in prison. He was sent away for life, also for espionage. He worked in the CIA, and he was hunted down. How much did he help the Russians, the Soviets... Who did worse, Ames or Hansen? You know, they were both malignant spies, and it's hard to even say, I mean, to put them up against one another and say which one was worse. They were both horrifically bad for our national security and gave away so many of our secrets, the tactical secrets, the sources we were running, U.S. policy towards the Soviet Union, our strategy. They were able to vacuum up an inordinate amount of intelligence. And Keep in mind, certainly with, with Ames, he was doing it before the digital age. I mean, he was able to get a lot of intelligence from CIA computers and such. But I think in today's world, as we've seen from some of the spy scandals in this century, if you have some cyber ability, you're able to vacuum up even more, as we saw with the Snowden case or the Chelsea Manning case. But in those days, you know, we lost a lot of sources. And I worked with CIA officers who were meeting the sources who, who were later found caught and killed. And it was very hard on our veteran CIA officers, the ones who were my role models, that we had lost sources because of a traitor in our midst. You know, the story for Hansen is just one of betrayal. He betrayed his family. He betrayed his wife. He betrayed his adopted religion. He was raised Lutheran, but converted to Catholicism when he married his wife, Bonnie. But his whole life was just about betrayal. And yes, he took $1.4 million to do it. But at the end of the day, I think he was satisfying some deep, dark psychological insecurity that he had, maybe going back to when he was a child. But the damage he caused was just very significant and a major part of our Cold War and post-Cold War history. Now, the stories say that he 
was linked to the deaths of three spies. Do you think it was more? I mean, three people who I, I suppose were Soviets who helped us or Russians who helped us. Is that what it means? He provided the Russians with a lot of leads to existing sources and told them how we operated and how we conducted our operations. And that probably enabled the Russians to stave off a whole host of what would have been successful CIA, FBI yeah, operations that could have kept our country safer. And one of those killed was a Soviet general, correct? He was executed. Yeah, that's the way that the uh, that the Soviets handled spies in their own midst. And it was only later under Boris Yeltsin that they did away with that sort of capital punishment. But Vladimir Putin has found other ways to deal with that, like by poisoning Sergei Skripal, the former Russian military intelligence officer who tried to poison him with a banned chemical nerve agent, Novichok, in the United Kingdom. You dealt with the fallout of Aldrich James and Robert Hansen. How difficult is it to repair that kind of damage? Well, I think that the first challenge is that when you're meeting with a Russian, and not just Russian, but others, too, who are thinking about, you know, potentially spying for the United States, their first question is, how are you going to protect me? Can you protect me? And that has to be drawn into great question when it's known that there's a spy in our midst who's stealing secrets. And so it's really a deterrent to those who might be considering, you know, the ultimate act of risking their own life on behalf of our national security. So that's the first piece of fallout. The second piece is that the Russians stole our playbook. They knew how we operated. And that just made it significantly more difficult for us on the streets in Moscow and, and around the world to conduct our operations. They depend on us having, you know, the upper hand and not allowing the Russians to kind of steal our playbook and know how we're going to operate beforehand. So those were those were two two key ways that really struggled. And the third thing I would just highlight is when you're searching for a spy in your in your midst, that's your focus. And it's always a zero sum game. If I'm trying to find Robert Hansen, I might not be doing something else. And so the time it takes to collect that intelligence and then to conduct the investigation is time you're not spending on other things, offensive operations that you might otherwise be running against Russia. Now we focus on two other Americans who are jailed, accused of being spies, accused by Russia. Paul Whelan was convicted, then imprisoned there. The U.S. calls him wrongfully detained, but was unable to include Whelan in the prisoner swap last year that freed American basketball star Brittany Griner, who was jailed in Russia on drug charges. The other American still behind bars in Moscow, accused of being a spy, is a journalist, Evan Gershkovich. The Wall Street Journal demands Russia free its reporter. President Biden said last month they're trying to get him back. To Evan's parents, Ella, Mikhail, and sister Danielle, as I've told you in person, we, not just me, we all stand with you. But Daniel Hoffman says freeing Gershkovich or Whelan will not be easy. Well, it's extraordinarily difficult, and it's going to happen at a time and a place of Russia's choosing. They've got all the leverage here over us. And in the case of Evan, you know, Vladimir Putin had to be very, very concerned uh, that Brazil had detained a Russian illegal, that is, a Russian intelligence officer operating without any diplomatic cover. And his name is Sergei Cherkasov. He was detained by the Brazilians. 
And the United States is is trying to extradite him back here to the United States so that we can conduct our own trial of him because he went to Johns Hopkins under an assumed name and uh, made contacts in the United States. He was off to get a job for the International Criminal Court in The Hague when the Brazilians detained him. And so he was detained for espionage. And I think that's probably why Evan was also detained for espionage. Russia likes the symmetry of that. And Vladimir Putin sees the world kind of like a chessboard. He's going to uh, want to trade Cherkasov for somebody who was not a spy. Evan was a journalist. But Putin is going to make it out as if, you know, we're doing an even deal here, which obviously we're not. But look, travel to Russia is extremely dangerous, even for journalists. And it shouldn't be that way, but it is. And it certainly reflects the depth to which Vladimir Putin has taken our bilateral relationship after invading Ukraine, unjust, unprovoked war during which Russian military has targeted Ukrainian civilians in hospitals and homes and neighborhoods, caused millions of Ukrainians to flee their country and, and caused, you know, wrecked havoc on the world economy. And, and that's why, you know, today is kind of D-Day for Ukraine. They're fighting back, mounting their counteroffensive, and we can only wish them all the best success. Daniel Hoffman, Fox News contributor now, former CIA chief of station. Thank you very much for joining us. All right. My pleasure. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Chuck DeVore. What's on your mind? The American birth rate is plummeting, but not in some states. There are three factors that statistically predict higher birth rates. The Wall Street Journal ran a story on May 26, noting that the U.S. birth rate is down sharply from 15 years ago as women report that economic and social obstacles are causing them to have fewer children than they want. The reasons cited in the piece focused on the material, the inability to afford a house while repaying student loans, men lacking earning power compared to the female cohort, and women being better educated than men. And the teen birth rate has dropped 78% since its peak in 1991 due to greater access to contraception. But a low birth rate has significant negative implications for national viability. Not only does a low birth rate jeopardize pension systems such as Social Security, but it's also a drag on the economy. The article cited President Joe Biden as proposing paid family leave, subsidized child care, and federally funded preschool as ways to convince people to have more children. Yet, looking to the states, there are massive differences in the birth rate among women 15 to 44 years in 2021. Women in number one South Dakota bore almost 53% more babies per capita than their peers in last place Vermont. What explains the difference? Biden and much of the left would offer a material explanation. Women don't have children because they can't afford to and they can't find childcare. But a national ranking of childcare that compares cost as a share of income, availability, and quality finds a modestly negative correlation to childcare. Of the seven states with the lowest natality, six of them are on the top 10 best states for childcare. 
Similarly, according to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, real personal income, a measure of income that looks at a state's cost of living, shows no meaningful statistical connection to the birth rate, with a trend line slightly negative, meaning those states with higher income have slightly lower birth rates. There are, however, three factors that statistically predict higher birth rates. A state's cost of living, a lower cost of living associated with a higher birth rate, the share of residents who seldom or never attend religious services with a lower connection to organized religion associated with lower birth rates, and the 2020 vote for Joe Biden, with states that gave Biden the largest share having the lowest birth rates. Of all the factors, the vote for Biden was the strongest predictor of a low birth rate. Of course, with statistics, we always have to be cautious about linking correlation to causation. That said, it is fascinating to consider the focus on material things among many policymakers. Birth rate too low? Subsidize having babies and support parents while they have young children. Yet this, as with all government programs, comes at a cost that must be paid in higher taxes, greater deficit spending that must be paid back eventually, or a combination of both. Alternatively, states with a low cost of living are largely those with a red state governance model, states with a light regulatory touch and low taxes. Relatedly, the cost of living in a state is mostly determined by the cost of housing, while the cost of housing is significantly affected by restrictive land use regulations. Further, Americans who look to government to help them tend not to have many children. This stands in contrast to Americans who take personal responsibility or look for support from their families and their congregations. This latter fact, and it is a fact, that faith, a conservative mindset, and a low cost of living found mainly in red states are associated with family formation confounds many politicians. Far better for them that they can propose policies formulated by their staffs and allied special interest groups, run for office with a promise to enact those policies, and, when they don't work as advertised, demand more spending on those government programs while demonizing any opposition that dare question their effectiveness. The solution to higher, societally healthier birth rates appears not to involve much government at all. I'm Chuck DeVore with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Dana Perino. Join me for season three of my limited time podcast, Everything Will Be Okay, based on my best-selling book of the same name. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.